0: One of my favorite things to do with dogs is to watch them figure out how to problem solve. I like watching them figure out how to navigate the world that we're asking them to live in and to have fun while doing it. At School for the Dogs, we specialize in selling enrichment toys for dogs. These are also sometimes called work-to-eat toys. They can help a dog refine their problem-solving abilities, can help them burn off physical and mental energy is not destructive it can help slow down their eating and it can also just help them enjoy themselves. I kind of think puzzle toys might be a canine equivalent of playing Fortnite or doing the crossword. Go for the Dogs' new Brainy Box is a monthly subscription box where every month we will send you one of our favorite canine enrichment toys along with one of our favorite types of treats. We'll only receive things that have been vigorously tested by our staff and student body. Sign up today at schoolforthedogs.com brainybox. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your first month or your payment for the full first year when you use the code brainybox15.
1: So, Jessica Maddox, tell me your exact title so I get it right.
2: Yeah, I'm an assistant professor uh, of digital media technology at the University of Alabama. I earned uh, my PhD in mass communication from the University of Georgia in 2018.
1: Tell me about your... Your field of study?
2: Yeah, so I, largely speaking, just study social media and how social media contribute to internet pop culture. So I'm always been I've always been interested in things like selfies and memes and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and the like. And several years ago, um, shortly after graduating with my PhD, I became very interested in researching cats and dogs and Horses and bearded dragons and all of the internet's pets. Um, so because I was finding in my line of work that there really wasn't a whole lot of research being done on something that is so much a part of how we are online and how we communicate online, um, you know, even if you don't have pets yourself, I'm sure people encounter, you know, photos of other people's pets. There's pet and animal Facebook groups and subreddits and TikToks. And I so I was just fascinated by how little there was out there. So I began to do research into this area. And now my book, The Internet is for Cats, How Internet <laughs> Animal Images Shape Our Digital Lives, will be out this fall.
1: Mm. I am not an academic, and I'm endlessly fascinated and frequently surprised about the areas of study that exist I mean oh, yeah. what- <laughs> oh, <yeah>. there's <laughs> once, so many <laughs> once I discovered your work, I was like, obviously there needs to be people studying this in in real time um because God knows in the future uh <laughs> this will be an important an important part of history yeah, right. that mm-hmm. people will study but it never really occurred to me that this was something that that the internet even in in the modern internet is something people are studying
2: oh yeah there's a huge you know a huge contingent of people you know who are in the field we call quote unquote internet studies and it's a, you know, fast, huge and super fast growing field. It's really been around kind of in earnest since the 90s, but was obviously much, much smaller then and is now uh, much more robust. And, yeah, I mean, I even have, you know, graduate students and students who are in their first semester of PhD come into my office and go, wait, you can study that? And I say, you can study anything.
1: <laughs> you can <laughs> study
2: absolutely anything you want.
1: <laughs> Let me read a little bit from... Well, this article Mm -hmm. that you wrote called The Secret Life of Pet Instagram Accounts. Pet and animal images are ubiquitous on social media with dog and cat photography playing a huge role in the visual economy of the Internet. Such a visual economy is often referred to as a cute economy. And while pet and animal images are a substantial part of this culture, they are not the only type of material. Babies, mascots, cartoons, and animations Mm -hmm. can also be considered as part of the cute economy, but for the purpose of this work, I focus on pet images. Pet images within the cute economy are driven by the cute aesthetic, which creates a specific type of relationship between consumer subject and the weak cute object pre- predicated on feelings of care and empathy. By the way, as I'm reading this, some oh, of the yes, things yes. here you're <laughs> quoting, but for the ease of reading, I'm you're good, yeah. not uh, putting in the quotes. Uh, when one engages with a cute image feelings may relate to innocence or help for one that cannot help themselves. Regarding pet images, these pictures may create an indexicality of wanting to care for the animal in question. An indexicality of care helps sustain the internet's acute economy and it has certain positive implications for pets. In 2018, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals found social media has been a helpful tool for animal shelters, allowing them to increase public support and facilitate more adoptions. However, Additional studies point out drawbacks. YouTube videos of endangered species and animals that should not be kept as pets are often cited as impetuses for people to pursue owning such animals. Similarly, the lack of context and education accompanying pet images means that while viewers may find certain behaviors cute, like a dog chasing its tail, the actions may actually indicate distress. This is something I think about a lot. Uh, Similarly, the cute economy is not exempt from looking relations with the most notable being black dog syndrome the phenomenon that refers to how black dogs and cats are passed over for adoption in favor of lighter colored animals while black dog syndrome predates social media shelters across the u.s canada and the united kingdom united kingdom self-report that individuals specifically request any animal but a black one has increased in recent years with people claiming black cats and dogs are not photographable For social media, the cute economy is also intertwined with the entrepreneurial dynamics of social media. Lucas argues that within neoliberalism, there is a relationship between the cute aesthetic and labor. And cuteness is a specific type of work used on social media to attempt to earn income. While Lucas discusses how women perform cuteness as labor... Previous discussions of the fur baby identity in the cute economy show how performing cuteness through pets can also be understood as a similar type of work. While cute is the defining aesthetic of the titular economy, it can also be a mechanism for achieving social and even financial capital. This complicates the cute economy by allowing it to simultaneously exist as a metaphorical cultural exchange and attempted actual financial transactions, thereby problemizing problematizing the cute aesthetics, purity and innocence. While cute is a predominant aesthetic and commonly associated with pet images, it is not the only effective practice at work. In addition to cuteness, this understanding also necessitates examinations of the effective stock individual's place in their pets, and such affectation manifests through joy. Reading your work, it's clear to me that this is a, not a new phenomenon, mm-hmm. this sort of uh, personification of, of pets mm-hmm. and B that there's a real female bent to all of it. There's almost like an aspect of like, this is a a kind of w- w- woman's work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll tackle the, the gender part first. Okay. Um, and so somewhere my husband will listen to this and roll his eyes. Cause it's actually a, interaction we had that started me off on this whole research where, uh, we have two dogs, like, you know, of course we do. <laughs> and I, um, turned to him one day, several years ago and said, I want to make a Instagram for our dogs. And he rolled his eyes at me and said, don't do that. That's such a thing. Basic white girls do. And those were just like the magic words that got me my research brain going thinking like, is this a thing basic white girls do? What does that mean? How could I unpack that? Why would somebody make an Instagram account for their pet? Like I knew why I wanted to in that moment, but I began to get curious about why others would. So my, my husband is very supportive. I'll also say that, but, um, but what I found in that research though, is there definitely is um, a gendered bent to it. You know, it's, The people I talked to, you know, it was by no means all women or individuals who identify as women, but it it is a very strong gendered component to it. And this is also by no means a new thing. Um, One of the, when I started reading about this project, I started reading uh, books on the history of pets uh, in the West and particularly the United States. And I found that in the United States in the 19th century, women used to write letters to each other in their pets voices so like that's if we see you know on instagram today people posting as their pets writing like oh today i went for a walk with mom and then i got some treats people were doing this in the 19 or in the 1800s just you know with pen and paper not with instagram furthermore i found some really fascinating stuff about fashion where people would incorporate their pets into outfits they'd wear out for a night in, you know, high society. Um, I just finished watching the Gilded Age. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it. I I read that in your work,
1: yellow, yellow beetles. Was that, I think? Yeah,
2: there was a weird, and, you know, I say weird in my, from here in 2022, but uh, in the 1800s, there was this trend for women to wear live beetles as part of their um, outfits and of their fashion. And, but they actually like that weren't just accessories like these women kept these beetles as pets. And when a reporter from The Washington Post asked one of these women, well, does your beetle know you? The the quote is, well, she expressed anguish at the beetle not being able to know her. Um, so I just find that so funny that everything we think is new is actually very, very old.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like in the early 2000s in the, you know, when Paris Hilton was sort of the the first influencer Mm -hmm. um, uh, (laughs) and was always toting around a tiny dog in a bag. Oh yes. (laughs) That was, you know, certainly an example of dog as accessory, but it does seem like we're in a different era now where people create Mm -hmm. these whole lives, Mm -hmm. like these fictional universes in which their pets live and use it as Mm -hmm. like a form of, Self-expression. Oh, absolutely. And uh, your work talks about the different reasons why why people mm-hmm. are doing that. Talk talk to me about some like the categories of why people yeah. <laughs> why people create these. I mean, they they really are often kind of like fictional worlds, right? Oh,
2: absolutely. And. It's always so funny to me as a researcher, the things when I interview people that people feel really strongly and passionate about. And so one of the questions I'd ask uh, my participants in the pet Instagram portion of this work was, well, do you write in your voice or do you write in your pet's voice? And people had such strong feelings about this like it'd be the point in the interview you know we'd be on on zoom or or skype or whatever and they'd like slam their hand on the table and be like let me tell you why i do it this way or why i don't do it this way so people are, have very very strong feelings about the presentation of their pets and the voice they write in and some of the reasons i found for this is it is a lot about self expression like you mentioned And the thing is, with a lot of these accounts, especially these smaller ones, so not the pet influencers, not the ones with tens of thousands of followers, but maybe your college roommate's Instagram for her corgi, right? We learn more about the poster than the pet. So, for instance, one of my participants told me the story where she had gone to a coffee shop to study for an exam and brought her uh, dog with her. And took a photo at the coffee shop with her laptop and her books and her dogs and posted it to uh, the dog's Instagram and being like helping mom study. And then when she was on campus, one of her friends saw her and said, oh, good luck on your test. I saw it on your dog's Instagram. Right. So that tells us more about her as a person than her dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for a lot of people, this was just kind of a fun way to communicate that isn't directly posting, oh, I have an exam, but Kind of tweaking it and morphing it a little bit to be about uh, their dog and the
1: exam, which is kind of it does kind of become like dog as accessory in that sort of case, right? Like it does, it does because the dog becomes
2: kind of a stand-in or the cat or whatever animal becomes kind of a stand-in for the person and a little bit. You know, I will say kind of like a prop to be kind of staged in certain ways. Again, I say this as somebody with her own – my own dogs have a pet Instagram, and uh, I do the same. Um, so I'm not judging at all. There's no judgment here whatsoever. But, yeah, it's you know, we do stage them to look a certain way on social media.
1: What are some of the other reasons you found that that people do this? Yeah, probably the most optimistic one, and I've
2: actually – found this in, in some previous research I've done as well, but I've actually stumbled across something rather optimistic about the internet sometimes. And that's, we are willing to take care of each other. And by that, I mean, you know, there's so much crap on the internet, right? There's people fighting over politics and there can be harassment and misinformation and disinformation and just, there can be so much we don't like about being online. But one of the things um, when I talked to people who ran pet Instagram accounts hoped was that they really hoped people just got a little break from that. So while they were scrolling, you know, doing the doom scrolling, they'd maybe just get a small, cute little break of seeing a pet, seeing something happy, seeing something wholesome. And for a brief moment, there's a little break from from the doom scrolling from the sadness and the madness and all of the the less than nice stuff about being online
1: and i guess as a as a consumer of that kind of media makes you feel a little less uh, I don't know what, or a little bit more connected or, I mean, would you say yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. And I
2: definitely think it can make us feel connected even to people we don't know. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm very active on Twitter as well. And, you know, so often on Twitter, and I, I talk about this a little bit in my, my book, people will say, had a bad day, send pet pics, right? So like, even though, so they wind up getting pictures from people they don't even know um, sending these pictures to them just to try to uh, cheer them up. So I think it can um, help us feel more connected in that way. You know, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying pets are the solution to all the internet's problems <laughs> by mm-hmm, any means, mm-hmm. but um, they do provide these, you know, nice moments of connected connection and joy and smiles and a little bit of relief from some of the other stuff. I,
1: mm-hmm. I, I'm i thinking of some, uh, some um, accounts in particular mostly run by women Mm -hmm. that I find just hilarious. And I've realized, like I've talked to our client, um, Lola, who's Lola Barksdale, Mm -hmm. who's, um, whose owner is named uh, Rachel. I had her on the podcast a few years ago talking about um, her account because I mean, I knew Rachel and I knew the dog Mm -hmm. and I just found her account to be, I still find her account to be really, really, really funny in a way. I didn't, really know that side of rachel until i started to follow her instagram and Mm -hmm. i began to appreciate like that that it was a kind of like art form for her that she had and and that it was also Mm -hmm. like it it was pegged to the dog Mm -hmm. but also kind of arbitrary because mm-hmm. i mean we project so much onto our pets and the dog that i see might have been a totally different character than the dog that oh yeah sees, right Co- mm-hmm.
2: completely yeah there's so much um you know we project so much humanity onto our pets you know and i again this is a, somebody who loves her two dogs more than anything on the face of this earth it's fascinating to me then how we kind of curate that projection onto social media where it does become an art form. It does kind of become this, there's almost like specific kind of ways to write a pet Instagram account or share your pets online. Um, certain things to talk about and certain things not to talk about even. You know, for instance, people told me when they talked about quote unquote sadder topics like pets passing away or rescuing a pet, even from a tragic situation, which to me, that's kind of um, uplifting, but people would lose followers um, because they don't want to, because en- they didn't want to engage with the, the sadder kind of content. Mm-hmm. But so it is definitely kind of a, a little bit of a performance, a little bit of a curation, so much of the way all social media content is.
1: What was the reason for you starting your pet's Instagram account then? Yeah, so my
2: younger dog, speaking of kind of tragic rescue stories, my three-and-a-half-year-old dog, Rudy, um, was found thrown out of a moving car in Tuscaloosa, where we live, and he was taken to the local shelter. Um, So shout-out to Tuscaloosa Metro Animal Shelter um, for saving my baby. He had five leg fractures and three surgeries before eight weeks old to correct his breaks. And so now he has over 30 pieces of metal holding his legs together. And originally we were fostering him and then we foster failed. (laughs) We just couldn't let go of this baby that we had, you know, taken such care of. Like we got him, he was on 24 seven crate rest. So couldn't even go out of his crate to go to the bathroom. Um, So it was just a lot. And I, I, kind of wanted to share his story because I thought you know this dog's been through a lot I was posting so much about him on my own Instagram and I was like well maybe I should make a separate space for my dog since I'm posting so much um, about them on my
1: own account huh I always think what if you had to explain to your dog like I'm taking pictures of you (laughs) So, I could share it with people that I might not necessarily know right and speculate mm-hmm. about what's going on in your mind mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what I'm doing with my time <laughs> oh, <I think laughs> and we, we make actually... we make fun of dogs for sniffing each other's butts and humping, but yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, I think if we could actually explain that to our dogs, I think they'd be horrified with us
1: <laughs> you You write about actually how YouTube has taken some some actions against certain kinds of uh mm-hmm. about uh, cer- against certain kinds of um content about pets mm-hmm. that people share um and I'm guess other other outlets have probably done mm-hmm. a similar thing how how and why is this kind of content uh regulated
2: that's a great question and you know for as much as I talk about the joy and the cuteness and the fun that comes from sharing there's you know some some negatives and some dark sides to sharing pets and animals on social media. And this instant, this one instance, um, I'm thinking of in particular from YouTube kind of references that and I'm, I'm blanking on the date because I, I can't even keep track of what time is anymore, but maybe it was a year or two ago, YouTube banned, uh, just in general, the category of fake animal rescue videos. And when I first come came across this, I was kind of startled because I didn't really know what it meant. But upon doing some digging into it, people were staging these really horrific situations for animals and dangerous, just so they could come in and save them. And I'm happy to give some examples if you want, but I'm I'm also happy to to, to gloss over and just uh, move on. I mean, what's
1: an example? Were people doing this uh, without saying that they were fake? Yeah, so people, well, they would
2: do it and then kind of at the end, be like, haha, JK, you know, I staged this whole thing. So it was instances of like, burying kittens or puppies alive, and then digging them out or tying them to train tracks or putting them in pens with dangerous snakes, and things like that. And then saying you know either in the description or kind of at the end that oh this was you know a performance this wasn't real the animal wasn't in ever any danger which is questionable but youtube at the urgence of many kind of animal rights and welfare groups kind of put the hammer down the hammer down on these uh videos and said no more it, Instances of animal cruelty do go against uh, YouTube's community guidelines, and they are. And they now say these fake animal rescues, even though they are, quote unquote rescues, are still cruelty because it is a manufactured situation that's putting the animal in danger. So, YouTube issued kind of an outright ban on this, and it does get pretty you know, kind of questionable and interesting to see how platforms do regulate animal content. Things like the pet trade um, or the trading of like illegal animals on Facebook was really, really big for a while. They've since kind of cracked down on it. And it's not as big of a problem as it used to be, though. I'm sure it still exists to some extent. But then I also have encountered kind of smaller scale content moderation problems where people in cat or dog Facebook groups that are just here to like share cute photos of their animals, get into some pretty heavy fights about what should or should not be allowed in these groups. Um, So it's kind of a platform issue. And then it's also like a group issue to decide, you know, what kind of pet and animal content are we going to allow in our space?
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's just flat out abuse happening too. I, I, I remember last year, someone sent me, these terrible videos i think it was on tiktok of this woman Mm -hmm. who was like breaking her dog's leg on the video Mm -hmm. yeah and Mm -hmm. um and i was like i don't know what they were like can you help i was like i don't know what i'm supposed to do yeah and and i I dug a little bit and realized that she had like 50 accounts and so she must just get like banned and then do it again Mm -hmm. and do it again on this topic of of the sadder stuff you wrote a really interesting article for slate Mm -hmm. about how attracted people seem to be to stories about ukrainian pets yeah Mm
2: -hmm. are
1: is is this a bad thing should we feel guilty about this that that those of us who who have um uh spent Mm -hmm. more than a little bit of time looking at the pictures of zoo animals and reading about Mm -hmm. people rescuing animals
2: and you know i i would say i don't think so um and what i wrote about in slate and why i felt so kind of compelled to to talk about this was relating to what i found in my research is you know animal images on the internet as self-expression these animals aren't taking the photos themselves, right? The zoo animals aren't getting out of Ukraine themselves. So behind every animal, of some of the heartbreaking animal images we saw coming out of Ukraine earlier this year, and, and still do to some, to some extent, there's a human. There's a human carrying the pet. There's a human arranging the transport. There's a human who's lost everything, so for their cat. And I think that seeing those pets seeing those animals actually really does remind us of the humanity behind the atrocities going on over there. Definitely a lot of images of, you know, kittens um, being rescued from rubble. I think I remember some of people fleeing into Poland uh, with their pets, you know, they couldn't carry a suitcase or bag, but they had their, their dog, right? So to me, those really underscore just the humanity of it, that these people um, are fleeing. They've lost everything, um, that it's something, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away from us in the U.S. But again, it's it's a human conflict and a human problem. And I think the animals help us kind of remember that. So for the same reason, you know, my particip- my research participant who talked about, oh, they – saw my, saw my Instagram and my dog's Instagram that I had an exam. And so they knew how to, they knew to say good luck when they saw me, you know, we can see these uh, photos of the animals and their humans dealing with tragedy in the Ukraine and say, wow, those people
1: are really going through a lot. It's interesting how uh, the, I guess, like we talked about this a little bit already, I guess, but just yeah. it's interesting to me, like the reasons, mm-hmm. the reasons people give for, for um creating accounts for their dogs it sounded like they kind of are cat- there are certain categories of of reasons people go online as their pets. Would you say that so
2: yeah, so I think you know in general, people can do it to share information or they can do it to express things about themselves they can do it to uh connect with others they can do it to share joy share cuteness Mm -hmm. and some do it too because they do want to try to become pet famous and become a pet influencer Mm -hmm. i talked to so many people during the course of uh this project that were like well yeah we were thinking about getting a dog and but man if we could make some extra money or get some free stuff you know that would be great and you know don't get me wrong who doesn't like extra money and free stuff right Mm -hmm. but yeah that's become kind of of a big part of it that Again, everybody thinks it's so easy to become internet famous, but it's actually quite, quite difficult. Takes a lot of uh, kind of time and effort and work and also a little bit of luck. Um, the famous internet dog tuna that um, like a dachshund Chihuahua kind of mix that has the really bad underbite. One of the reasons <laughs> yeah. he got so famous was kind of in the early days of, pet Instagram, so kind of closer, maybe like 2011, 2012, Instagram randomly featured them on their homepage one day. And everybody just kind of fell in love with this quirky looking dog. And now he's a internet celebrity that's at PetCon every year, the pet internet convention, and
1: just has millions and millions of followers. You also talk about um, that This Is Fine dog. He's yeah, a cartoon yeah. dog. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm right you talk about your your in-depth conversations about about the the, this is fine dog yeah
2: i my book when i first pitched it was originally called this is fine and uh the press was like "Mm, that doesn't make sense (laughs) and i kind of changed the title and to their credit the internet is for cats is a much better title um that's why they're the professionals and i'm not um but yeah i think I think that this is fine meme is if, you know, you've spent any time on the internet, you've probably seen it. It's the dog sitting in a, it's a cartoon dog, um, sitting in a room that's on fire and the dog says, this is fine. And I believe the creator, the original creator was Casey white uh, for his internet comic strip. Um, but the meme took off in digital culture and on the internet and in social media as these things do to kind of describe you know, when things are not great, but you just kind of have to grin and bear it, uh, the this is fine meme is a is a great response. And mm-hmm. uh, the meme resonated with me to kind of help talk about some of the, th- the and explore some of the things I wanted to talk about regarding pets and animals on the internet is that, yes, there's the cute and the joy and, and all the great stuff, but then uh, like we mentioned with the, the fake animal rescue videos and, and the cruelty, there's some not so great stuff too.
1: <laughs> But why, like, why in that cartoon does it need to be a dog? Like, wouldn't it work if it was just a person?
2: You know, I think it, I think it would have. Um, but I think by the fact that it's a cartoon dog, I think it makes it a bit more absurd. <laughs> um and, and i think when we want to use that meme to respond to anything you know even even just this week i think i sent it out in you know one of my group chats <laughs> you know it's still a, a popular meme um i think we the fact that it's a dog makes it a little absurd because anytime we're using that meme well not anytime but most of the time when we're using that meme it's probably about an absurd situation you know it's been used a lot um in Political situations. People use it in response to their, you know, favorite sports team not doing so well. I think, you know, it really shot to popularity in 2016, especially when we had a lot of, you know, celebrity deaths that year uh, Prince, Alan Rickman, David Bowie. So I think it's just, I think it's the absurdity. I think, you know, I think it still could have been a successful meme with a person, but the fact that it's like a dog sitting at a table,
1: which, you know, isn't something dogs do well in my house aren't sitting at a table (laughs) drinking coffee yeah i don't know i i get i get uh frustrated sometimes about how um, i mean it's in in the book culture clash um by jean donaldson she Mm. has a a whole chapter where she talks about how messed up we all are about dogs largely because of walt disney Mm. and the um the image of a dog that we were all fed as being this compliant mm-hmm. thoughtful being with human like abilities to mm-hmm. talk and reason and please mm-hmm. and you know that and those sort of lassies or rintintins yeah um yeah. who effortlessly seem to understand everything that we want on all times and mm-hmm. i think about it a lot watching shows with my daughter who loves for instance peppa pig ah (laughs) yes which is about pigs but they have not like except for the fact that they love jumping in muddy puddles (laughs) and they they, like snort when they laugh Mm -hmm. there is nothing really pig like about Mm -hmm. peppa pig right (laughs) or there's nothing tiger like about daniel tiger really except he was when he's upset like Mm -hmm. Why do we, why do we need to, I guess, I mean, anthropomorphize, is is that the right word? Yeah. Animals. Why can't we just let animals be animals and, and, and have cartoon humans in these situations? I mean, on the one hand, like I could see someone saying like, oh, what's the problem with it? Like, you know, don't be a, you know, don't be a grouch about this. Don't be a, you know, Scrooge. (laughs) But on the other hand, like I think it can lead to mm, this um, anthropomorphic view of the world of yeah. of mm-hmm. of um I don't know. Yeah, like, no, I, projecting I, I think... our own values and abilities and, and Oh you know, yeah.
2: I completely understand what you're saying. And yeah, yeah, don't worry about being a grouch. The just the fastest way to clear out a party is to invite an academic and we'll, you know, <laughs> make We'll make everything fun to sound complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I am get called a grouch a lot. <laughs> um, so, but no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. You know, um, Disney too, the Disney dogs, you know, the, the super understanding and ob- obedient Lassie um, I think after 101 Dalmatians and you might know the, this better than I do, the American kennel club saw it was the highest increase in breed registrations in history. For dalmatians followed by the sharpest decline um because everybody then wanted to go get a dalmatian and i saw i found something kind of similar in my research with corgis like the internet loves corgis I know I, it's those butts it's the butts it's you know and what's not to like about the the butts they're what's cute they're big like? they waggle it's adorable <laughs> right um yeah what's not to like but i think the internet love for corgis, um, and again, this is something you're probably more familiar with than I am. have kind, of, has kind of masked the temperament of corgis that they can be some of the more difficult dogs for what i from what I understand. So one of the uh, people I talked to said, "Yeah, I got a corgi because everybody on the internet had a corgi, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were cute, and I wanted the cute dog, um, and I was vastly unprepared for how difficult." this dog was she's like i love this dog don't get me wrong but the reality of living with this dog is so different from the internet love for corgis that's everywhere Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah we definitely do project our own ideas and and beliefs and that can kind of mask some of the more the realities of, of living with these pets
1: Right, so what's to be done about it? <laughs> what's, the, or what, like, what's the future What's the future of cats on the internet? Yeah, what is the future?
2: Um I definitely think we're going to see an increased rise in pet influencers, like not just people that want to be internet famous, but more and more actual companies using pets and animals in their marketing campaigns. Um, when I went to PetCon and did some field work for my book there, they were talking about how pets are the best influencers because, and I quote, a pet isn't going to get drunk at a party and hurt your brand like a human is. End quote. <laughs> um, so there's definitely interest there um, from corporations that I think we'll see a lot more of that.
1: But they also have shorter lifespans than, yes. you know, your 17 year old cute girl. Absolutely.
2: Which, have you heard about the um, the cloning? How pet influencers will clone their pets?
1: I mean, I know about dog cloning, but I didn't know that this was a, a thing in the yes, pet influencer yes. world. No, so, to, I guess tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cloning a pet is like $50,000. And yes. of course, mm-hmm. you're not getting the same pet that you had before. Correct. You're getting a, like an identical twin, mm-hmm. right? There
2: is a um, Instagram famous pet. Um, the account is Wander with Willow. She's got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. And I don't know if it was the original Willow and they renamed the clone dog Willow. I'm, I'm not, not too sure, but uh, the dog got hit by a car and tragically died really young. And so they cloned the dog and continued... The account uh, with the with the cloned dog. So, so yes. So, well, you're absolutely right. You know, pets definitely don't have the lifespans. Wow. Um, as humans do, people have kind of started to find some ways around that.
1: Wow. Well, then there's something else that's come up that I'm sure you must have encountered in your research. Is like if you have, and, and I could think of people I I know in person who've dealt with this. Like you have, you know hundred thousand followers mm-hmm. and an account named after your dog and then your dog dies and then you get yeah. another dog. Do you start a new account?
0: Yeah. Do
1: you rename your account? Do mm-hmm. you start like, is, is it worth starting from zero or do you?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a, no, I definitely have encountered this. I think the tactic is to, there's often when this happens, what I found is, um, you know, the accounts will kind of go quiet for a little bit, like after they, they lose their pet. And then, um, which I totally understand, I will be a wreck for forever when I lose mine. Um, but then there's kind of this rollout of the new pet. So, and it's typically done on the same account because the fan base is already built in. You don't have to start from zero followers. You've got a hundred thousand or so or a couple hundred thousand. So your audience is built in. And then you can just introduce them to this new pet. And I think it does have to be done kind of strategically. Again, that kind of performance and that art form that we're talking about by making connections in the beginning back to the pet that is passed, to the, back to the pet everybody was originally here for. And then over time, that can kind of phase out. And then the account can be all about the new animal.
1: It's, uh, it, it's a reality of having a pet that... Mm-hmm. You will most likely outlive your pet, yeah. mm-hmm. and for me, it's actually one of the places where the modern, <laughs> this modern way of sharing about our, our mm-hmm. pets seems most beautiful. Because yeah. when you do have a pet that dies, and mm-hmm. uh, you and that that pet has a social media presence, or you have a mm-hmm. social media presence, mm-hmm. I could imagine. That if you do have all these followers online, mm-hmm. um, that outpouring could be mm-hmm. sweet and helpful and help yeah. you kind of mm-hmm. feel like your love for your pet is being appreciated by others, yeah. or like you, you know the, that your pet is being remembered by others. But then again, it so much of it comes back to me. You know, the, the I think the very first dog training conference I ever went to mm-hmm. was an The Association for Professional Dog Trainers. It was in 2010, and I'm racking my brain now to try and remember the name of the person who was speaking. Mm -hmm. This 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 woman was speaking. She made the point that the dog that I see when I look at my dog Mm -hmm. and the dog that you see when you look at my dog, those are different dogs. Absolutely. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked we touched on it a little bit before, but. Any relationship is mm-hmm. any any relationship is really about you I mean yeah mm-hmm. I think romantic relationships that's a realization people can often come to that like mm-hmm. the love that you feel towards one person exists actually inside of you
2: absolutely-hmm
1: and that's why like being in love with two different people can feel similar because <laughs> mm-hmm. right, <laughs> or, right. or, many different people because <laughs> it's like it's you know it's your brain chemistry it's the stuff mm-hmm. inside of you it's not like this you know necessarily like special qualities that exist only in one person that spark mm-hmm. this in you and i i'd somehow never really thought about that in at all or you know certainly not in terms of pets until she she said yeah. that um mm-hmm. and it and i see that with cats and dogs etc on the Internet that mm-hmm. you know, someone might love, like I was saying, Lola Barksdale. You know, yeah. I mm-hmm. uh, my m- the, the the my love for her is not the same as her owner's love for her, and, and neither mm-hmm. is it. You know, the the, the dog that I see mm-hmm. may not at all be the dog that she sees. Or, you know, mm-hmm. we I remember we had one client, and the the owner was always like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: she's such a diva, you know, she's <laughs> such a She's yeah. such a snot about things and da 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 da, and it, I mean, kind of critical, I guess. And I thought, like, no. wow, that's if I had to, you know, use adjectives to describe this dog, those are not the ones I would pick. Mm, uh, right. But that doesn't mean that they're wrong. I don't know. I don't have really have a point in what I'm saying. I guess. Yeah. I no, just think- I totally <laughs> follow.
2: Yeah. My uh, we joke. My so my older dog is ten and a half. Um, and my husband and I joke um that he's a wise sage oracle that just knows all. He's he's always been wise beyond his years. He was graying at one; like he's just mm-hmm. always been a little old man, even when he was a puppy. Um, but I'm like, he's not an oracle, right? <laughs> he's not a wise old oracle. It's just mm. that's the personality we've, you know kind of attributed to him um and you know he's he's a dog just this week he this wise old oracle rolled in a decaying bird in the yard so like how wise is he really
1: <laughs> so maybe the internet is just giving us a like a canvas onto which we can mm-hmm. paint yeah these mm-hmm. pretty pictures we make about mm-hmm. the animals we love and uh and it's just the so. latest yeah. the latest iteration of, of, um, a tendency that we have as humans to, mm-hmm. to see our qualities in, in animals. But I, speaking of Peppa Pig, I have watched a lot of Peppa Pig and I, oh, God, I God. have God. this kind of, <laughs> you know, like I've also watched a lot of the little mermaid and, you know, yeah. like the mm-hmm. little mermaid is wants to, um, for anyone who has not seen the little mermaid, if there is such a person, um, you know, <laughs> she wants to be a human with legs and then mm-hmm. And then The Little Mermaid 2 is about her daughter, who's a human and yeah. of course wants to be a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember as a kid going ice skating and thinking, like, if I had ice skates as feet, would I want to, like, go to a <laughs> walking rink <laughs> and just. <laughs> oh, I <like> that. <laughs> and I had a similar line of That's thought with, work. like, yeah. Peppa Pig, where I'm like, mm-hmm. if if pigs could make cartoons, would they have. <laughs> <laughs> would no, they have I'm like them, humans right? in pig like situations? Mm-hmm. Like would all the humans be walking around on on all fours and like eating out of <laughs> Yeah, I think if my dogs
2: out. could make an Instagram about me, it would be Yeah, what would that look like? <laughs> mom points her phone at us a lot, goes away for a couple hours a day, comes home, talks about teaching her human kids. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no but it would be like if, if they could make cartoons about us we would probably be like in all the dog-like situations but we oh, would like totally. look like humans like we have peppa pig mm-hmm. and her family in these human-like situations like guess pigs
2: oh yeah my dogs would put me in the backyard sniffing <laughs> i know
1: i know We would be like why isn't jess more of a butt sniffer yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> Well, what's your next area of research?
2: Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, and, and so much of my past couple of years has been uh, focused on the book, my book that I'm now like, huh, I, the, the world is my oyster. I kinda mm-hmm. can, can go where I want next. But I have actually kind of wrapping up some work actually on social media veterinarians looking at how veterinarians communicate uh, pet health. So this kind of spun off the book. It wound up being too big to include in the book. So I'm kind of working on it as its own project at the moment. Um, What are are the
1: takeaways there?
2: Yeah, so typical uh, that vets, um, again, it all kind of comes back to influencers and content creators. They kind of have to act that way. And um, so if you're a vet on TikTok trying to communicate, health information about pets. Well, you know, you got to be dancing. You got to be doing the latest TikTok dance. Uh you can use the green screen and throw up information behind you. So, it's kind of just looking at um basically how veterinarians function as influencers basically using, you know, TikTok dances to make information easier di- easier to digest.
1: <laughs> wow, how interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. There, I, I can send you that paper too. <laughs> is there
1: is there one vet that like I should be following on Instagram oh, or man, TikTok or so an example of like. Anything memorable that you've seen? I know that's hard to say because uh, oh, nothing's yeah. memorable um, anymore. Like, can you can you name one TikTok you've ever seen? <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I like um, Doctor Hunter Finn is one of my favorites. Okay. Um, and he's like a small animal vet, and so he'll do the dances, talking about uh, you know foods you might not realize are toxic for dogs or if your pet's licking their paws obsessively, it might be these allergies. Uh, so some other good ones. I like the calf vet CA that like calf as in cows vet on Instagram. They're like a large animal vet that posts some really interesting stuff, but yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating world that, you know, kind of also brushes up against doctor influencers, dentist influencers, lawyer influencers, like that whole that whole world
1: <laughs> oh my god things i never even thought about dentist right. influencers. Yeah. i'm sure also... now i'm looking yes. at the doctor it's here he has he's wearing green scrubs and he has a video called <laughs> why does your dog lick its paws it's weird about and it says it could be a few different reasons such as jiggle, jiggle. allergies ball, oh he's really wiggle, cute wiggle, wiggle. Sure. <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> dancing yeah yeah this infection or foreign material and he's doing like a, we live in a really weird time.
2: We really do. (laughs) (laughs) You picked a good moment in the world
1: to study, I guess.
2: (laughs) Yeah. For me as a researcher, it's all gold. Like I also recently just this week discovered the, so are you familiar with like NFTs? Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I think we all are, whether we want to be or not at this point, the first nft or one of the first nft projects was actually called crypto kitties um so you could buy an nft cat okay uh nft like cartoon cat and then from what i understand um i haven't been able to like get into the community because i i do not possess any cryptocurrency and don't have thousands of dollars to buy an nft um but you could buy this uh nft of a cartoon cat and then from what i understand the community inside is kind of like neopets do you remember neopets um, um in like the 90s where you could buy a little pet and like feed them in the town village and like
1: take care those of those death. little things like um i like the size of a cookie that had little buttons on it that you would push Oh, Oh, those are
2: the Tamagotchis. So Tamagotchis is online. Oh, okay. Um, But so CryptoKitties kind of is, again, I haven't been able to get on because I don't have cryptocurrency, but um, is this thing that you could like buy this NFT cat and then raise it and like interact with others. and, And then they talk about being able to like breed your NFT cat in this community. So I just stumbled across that this week and I'm, Fascinated by it, but don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. So, it's a real cat? No, so it's an NFT. It's just like a picture of a cat, but you can like, okay. like yeah. I I I need to investigate more. I'm, I'm my mind to... is
1: my mind is blown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the next thing you should do is dog trainers on the internet. <laughs> hey, I would love to do that <laughs> because you know one thing, like in our um, professional course. Mm-hmm. I've at times given our aspiring dog trainer students the assignment of finding videos and images online of that are being wildly misinterpreted. Oh, um, interesting. Because there are so many pretty basic, easily observable things that dogs in particular mm-hmm. do to show discomfort. Mm-hmm. And of course, every dog is different. And, you know, mm-hmm. some dogs might do something when they're actually... Not uncomfortable, but by and large, yeah. you know, if you see a dog's tongue, for instance, if you mm-hmm. it, unless a dog has a mouthful of peanut butter or is kissing you <laughs> mm-hmm. or has just swallowed something, uh-huh. if you're seeing their tongue, licking their nose, licking their lip outside of their mouth, usually that's a dog that's uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. it does not take a minute to <laughs> find mm-hmm. tons of pictures on yep. Instagram or wherever mm-hmm. that people have posted that you know they think you know is a cute picture of their dog um Mm -hmm. look I can see my dog's tongue where actually the dog is probably like oh my god get that camera away from my face yeah or dogs yawning Mm -hmm. also something usually dogs are doing when they're uncomfortable but Mm -hmm. you can see tons of captions of people talking about how tired their dog is when that's probably not the reason why they're yawning Mm -hmm. that kind of thing Mm -hmm. oh yeah but um, well, Jessica, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um yeah, anything that we didn't touch on. on that you think we we should we yeah, should. I think we hit
2: all the all the high points. So I appreciate <laughs> you having me on.
1: <laughs> Plug your book again, and when when and where when? Like, well, I guess we yeah. know where we'll find it, but yes. when will it be so, out?
2: So um, my book will be out this October. It's called uh, "The Internet Is for Cats: How Animal Images Shape Our Digital Lives." Uh, written by me uh, Mm -hmm. through Rutgers University Press.
1: Awesome. And um, what is your dog's Instagram account?
2: They are,
1: yes, they are the Mad
2: Dogs, M-A-D-D-D-O-G-S, since my last name is Maddox, Mad Dogs. Um, uh, So you can follow them there. We are not Insta-famous by any means. I think I have 20 followers, so. (laughs) Not yet. Right, not Not yet.
1: yet. (laughs)
0: the dogs, the Thank dogs you so much for listening and special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing dogs, theme song you can find dogs. Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden If you enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com and you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app Just visit schoolforthedogs.com slash community.